Hey everybody, welcome to Beyond Grit with me, Robert Young. It's nice to have you guys back. So habits, let's talk about habits. Let's talk about building habits. I, my biggest thing that I want to do this year is be able to take control of my day. So I find myself at four o'clock in the afternoon and I swirled throughout the day and I grabbed hold of this and I did some of that and I did a little bit of that, but then I end up pushing most of the things to the next day. So what I've decided to do was really lay out my day. And we all talk about time blocking and putting in tasks and different things like that. And I used to do it and that was great until about a week later. And all of a sudden I was back into the same thing, swirling around. So I've decided that, you know, this is it. This is the year I'm going all in. I'm taking control of my day, which will eventually give me a lot more time at the end of the day to do whatever I want and make me much more productive. But the way that I'm doing it is just little bits and pieces and I'm laying it out and I laid out everything that I do throughout my day and the things that I'm responsible for and I put them down and I made tasks and I re repeatable tasks and things like that and just you know, even with the podcast and recording intros and with the real estate business, marketing and getting my Instagram stuff out and really being able to take care of the client before the client even asked me to do something for him, just being proactive. So that is my goal for the year and that's my habit. And when I do things and when I accomplish things like you do and you accomplish things, give yourself a little pat on the back. Like this, some, for some people, this is really hard. And for me, it's taking control of my day and that's what I struggle with. So you know what? At the end of the day, when I've clicked all my tasks, when I've done what I'm supposed to do, I give myself a pat on the back. When you, whatever you're struggling with and whatever you're trying to create habits, when you do those and when you do little bits and pieces and little habits at a time, give yourself a little pat on the back like you did it. And uh, I'm telling you, you're going to make yourself feel good and smile at yourself every now and then, you know, be kind to yourself. My guest this week is Julie and Julie is an attorney and she is the owner of Julie Carter Law and she is based over in Alabama. We had a great conversation. What you think your life is supposed to be and how you planned it out is not always the way that it is going to go. And she has some great little interesting stories and stories of overcoming things and challenges and, you know, taking on challenges. So I know that was pretty vague of a description, but um, she's an amazing person in what she's accomplished and what her and her husband have accomplished. So sit back, get a cup of coffee, your hot tea, and hang out. And I'll see you next week. Julie, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Good. I'm good. I appreciate you coming on the show and sitting down for a little bit today and chat about your life. Thanks for having me. Good yeah. to be here. So tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing 
currently? So I'm an attorney from Alabama mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm a parent, I'm a spouse, and I practice mainly education rights, disability rights law, and a little bit of smattering of other things, some real estate law and that kind of thing that comes from my previous lawyer life. But okay, I started my own firm and the majority of my practice is now in the education and disability rights world. How long have you uh, had your own firm? About a year and a half. Yeah, I thought it was pretty, pretty new. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get into that and we'll get into the, the stepping away from the, the big firm and moving on to your firm and why you did that. Um, yeah. So you're in Alabama. Have you born and raised in Alabama? Born and raised. I am about maybe 20 minutes from where I grew up and... 10 minutes from the hospital where I was born. So yeah, stayed right where stayed put. So I've been around, but I came back. Yeah. Where'd you, um, where'd you go to school? So I did undergrad and grad school at Auburn okay. and here, here in Alabama. And then um, eventually found my way to law school at Tulane in New Orleans. When I was getting my grad degree, I studied in Spain, spent a summer in Ecuador. And I even taught school at a boarding school in Pennsylvania for a little bit. For a year. Okay. So I've been a few other places and came back home. <laughs> my daughter, she did um, a couple study abroad programs in Spain. And then my son is actually looking to do a study abroad in Italy. Ooh, so nice. I think those are just great things for people to experience, especially when you're younger. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm so it, glad I did it. Oh, I bet. Just different cultures and things like that. Now, are you, you come from a big family? Do you have any siblings? I do come from a big family. I grew up Catholic in the South, in the middle of the Bible Belt, mm. which Catholics have the Bible, but it's still pretty countercultural as far as yeah. some parts of Alabama can go. I grew up with a pretty big family. I'm one of three kids. I'm in the middle. Okay. I have an older brother who's five years older than me, and his sister's 21 months younger. We're pretty close. And I have enough cousins and aunts and uncles to, you know, fill in the entire church if we wanted to at the Catholic church in my smaller hometown. My grandparents actually started the Catholic church in the town that I, that I grew up in. So, wow. Yeah. Does everybody, did the whole family pretty much stay put there in Alabama in that area? Yeah, I think I may be one of the ones that is gone away the most actually um most people still live within that's a drive cool. that's pretty cool that's nice having your family close by it is we're pretty tight-knit it turns out good so when you were when you're growing up did you always want to be an attorney was that like your goal or did you have something else on the horizon so i think i probably are always at some point knew i was going to be an attorney i mean when I was a kid, people were like, are you going to be an attorney like your dad? <laughs> I have an analytical brain. I'm great at getting people to do what I want and just sort of leading them there slowly or quickly. It's always been sort of what I'm good at. I think I inherited it, but okay. I resisted it for a while. You know, <laughs> as a little kid, I wanted to be a marine biologist and then a teacher and who knows what else you want to be. You know, I thought maybe I would do nonprofit for a while work in nonprofit and do community development. Mostly I knew I wanted to help 
children somehow once I had kind of come into my own. I went to undergrad intending to major in international business because, you know, business. Then I majored in philosophy as well because that's what I actually wanted to study. Yeah. <laughs> when I concentrated my international business major, I was really just taking the Spanish classes. And so I went to go see my advisor in liberal arts and she said, hey, you could graduate a semester early if you've moved out of the business school. And I ran over to the business school and I was like, bye. <laughs> and so I ended up with a double major in philosophy and Spanish and eventually made it to law school. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how that philosophy will grab people and they're like, whoa, <laughs> I really like that. And that's pretty interesting. It's just, it grabs people's attention. I think just yeah. because it's so unique and, and so cool in the way that you can look at it and relate to it and understand it. Yeah, it grabbed my attention pretty early. Like I can remember being maybe 12 or 13. And for Christmas, I asked for a bunch of philosophy books. Like we had just gotten the internet, right? I'm on barnesandnoble.com, just dial up, looking at like, whoa, I need to read this book by Freud and also by Aristotle. And I'm just picking out all this. This is what I asked for for Christmas. My mom was like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Are you sure? That's what yeah. I want. That's what I want. Growing up, what hobbies did you have? Hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, are you a gamer? A hobby, like maybe? I liked playing video games as a kid. Um, I read a lot. I bribed my sister to clean my room if I played Barbies with her. <laughs> I played with my sister. We had a pool. We played outside, you know, just yeah, I did ballet odd. in high school a lot. Um that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So we'll move to your college years or actually your grad school years. And you went through a pretty traumatic experience that kind of derailed you there for a little yeah. bit. Can you, can you tell me about it? Yeah. So first grad school was at Auburn. I got my master's in Spanish and then eventually made my way to law school at Tulane. And so in my second year of law school, one of my best law school friends died by suicide and it wasn't easy, you know? Yeah. Um, I was home visiting for the weekend and I was in Target and my friend from law school called and said, hey, where are you? And I said, mm, Target. And he said, okay, can you go to the furniture section? and find a chair and sit down in it. And I was like, uh, sure. And I kind of knew right then what he was going to say, because that Friday I had had dinner with our friend and some other people were supposed to come and nobody else could make it. Everyone was studying. And she just, she seemed off. And I, the last thing I said to her was, well, I'm proud of you for taking care of yourself. Call me. And that was the last thing I said. And I think other than one um, boyfriend of a law school friend that she went out with the night before, I was maybe the last person to see her. And he said, you know, Susan died by suicide. And I sat in Target and I was like, oh, <laughs> and I had like, <laughs> you know, random nonsense that no one needs in my basket. And I just sat it down and who knows what my face looked like. I walked out of Target and I heard someone sh shouting like the Spanish word for thief. <laughs> like, I guess oh, I really? looked really strange. Like my face must have looked like I was not 
I was a sketchy individual at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was shouting deep and I was like, I'm really not. And I'm just zoned out. And I just walked to my car, drove to my apartment and my husband, then eventually husband was there. And I was just like, um, it was, it took a while to process. I mean, the school is super supportive, but I was taking a ridiculous amount of hours for a law student, like 16. I, I don't even remember what the magic, the maximum is, but that's how many I had. And I had an internship that I was doing too. I was, you know, overdoing it as I yeah. tend to do. And so I didn't know how to not, how to stop, how to grieve while in law school and trying to build my future. I had no idea how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And so it was the, me sitting there trying to read, you know, like a, some law book and just, yeah. I couldn't, like it wouldn't get in my brain, but I couldn't stop. And I didn't know how to allow myself to have those feelings and to just let go of everything else and just be in that grief. And so the school offered free counseling for students who were having a hard time with it. And of course, then as a law student at that time, you know, you get the disclaimer, oh, you'll eventually to become a lawyer and to get admitted to the bar, there's a character and fitness exam and any mental health issues will be questioned by the bar. And it's like, I, oh my God. Um, and so you wonder, is it okay for me to need help grieving this loss? Is it okay to get therapy? And so then they have like a separate meeting, but there's still like the asterisk, there's still the disclaimer. Since then, it's gotten much better in the legal community. Well, somewhat better. But yeah, that was a struggle too. Just even maybe risking a lot just to get through it at that moment. Our Dean was amazing though. He was really supportive. He was like, go to therapy. (laughs) I just think it's, you know, it it blows my mind how we have this, this idea that grieving is, we don't know how to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we just think that we're going to jump into whatever we're doing. And for yeah. you, it was just the studying. Well, that's my way. I'm, I'm going to grieve because I'm going to just keep my life going. And then you mm-hmm. struggle. And then, well, I can't go to therapy because if I go to therapy, then that's going to be a, a mark on my board. And what mm-hmm. a, and to be a young person at that time battling that is incredible. It was a ridiculously crazy and hard time. And at some point it was like, no, yeah. Okay. So our amazing Dean, Dean Myers, go to therapy. You guys, it really is going to be okay. If I have to write a letter, like you go, So, you know, me and two other friends, we go and I, the therapist looked at me and said, stop studying, stop trying to study. You cannot study while you're grieving. And I was like, what do you mean stop studying? Like, I I can't just, you, yeah, you really, you have to, you can't, you won't, you're not going to pass anyway. (laughs) You just sit and try to not grieve, take the time to grieve. You have to. And I went home from that appointment and I was like, um, now what do I do? (laughs) And he said, when you feel awful and you feel that grief coming over you, Let me ask you a question. Has any feeling you've ever had lasted forever? And I said, well, I mean, no. (laughs) Yeah. Like this won't last forever either. Let yourself feel this grief. 
And I was like, oh crap, right? And so I go home and I sat at my desk, didn't open my book and I just cried. And I cried for a while. I watched 30 Rock on repeat. I think I watched all, however many seasons there are, probably five times in a row, just keep making me laugh. Tracy Morgan, yeah. just like, make this happen. And Tina Fey, and I'm just crying and watching 30 Rock and eating Pop-Tarts <laughs> and surviving did, and finding a way to be okay. Did you blame yourself for what happened? Did you think that you could have done something differently or saw any signs? Was that part of this? I mean, yeah, I think it was like, there was some heaviness of, well, no one else came. No one else knew. I didn't, I didn't recognize it. I didn't know. I told her I was proud of her. Ugh. Right. Yeah. And I remember her just looking at me and being like, ha ha. Okay. And she just left and walked off to her apartment and that was it. And in law school, you're working so hard and there needs to be a way I get to connect with people and, and, and say something like, no, everybody had some story or some, Oh yeah. I didn't see that. That when we shared it with all with each other, we're like, wow, but we couldn't ultimately, we couldn't have seen it individually. We couldn't yeah. have, if we had all had all of that information, like if we right. had known that, you know, Elliot saw that she had a gun that I talked to her and she had called us all together to have apparent what was apparently supposed to be like a last dinner together. If we had known all of these little things along the way, then maybe we could have done something, but ultimately, you know, it's hard. There was some guilt, you know, it's but hard it to was, look back. Yeah. So much. There was anger. Like, why did you do this? You know, but at some point you understand this is, I mean, this is depression. This is suicide. It lies to you. I know you, you always want to say, what can I have done? And sometimes there really isn't anything, you know, mm -hmm. um, to do, uh, especially in the moment. And like you said, you're taking all these credit hours and you're doing this and everybody's working very hard. And mm -hmm. it, it, a lot of times you don't see it mm -hmm. in somebody else. Um, but that affected not only that affected your grades too. And I mean, you were clerking mm -hmm. at a, a law firm and they had a pretty strict rule <laughs> on your grades, right? How did that happen? You know, you, you weren't allowed to go back there. Right. So I had spent two summers there and at the end of the summer, they make a decision. They take you out to lunch. And usually, you know, if things have gone well, then at that lunch, you get the, hey, you're hired, you know, see ya, see you when you're when done, you're done. With school. And then, but I got the, so your grades have fallen below the standards that we require as a firm. So for Tulane, you have to be in the top 20% at the time you did. I think actually they changed the policy. Ah, you're welcome, future people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they, you had to be in the top 20%. And I was in like a 21.4%. I, my grades fell from the semester from garbage town. And I sat there in one of the worst legal job markets ever. Tons of, tons of law students, no jobs and going, huh? <laughs> okay. Now what do I do? So I, I cried in my mom's floor. Like, cause I was, <laughs> I was visiting again for the weekend and I just sat down 
ever since I was a kid, there was this rug in our kitchen. And whenever I was just like, oh, I, she called it the wailing rug. Like I just pitched one right there on that rug if I needed to. And so I just sat in the floor, I was like, oh, just feeling my feelings. And I was like, what am I going to do? I need a job. Now, yes, my dad's a lawyer. My brother's a lawyer. They had a law firm. I didn't want to work with them. I wanted to do something else. Keep it on your own. And so I had no idea where to go from there. But I knew, you know what? I will be in the top 20%. I don't care what I do after this, but I'm going to be in the top 20% because this is not about to be what stops me. Mm -hmm. That's not fair and it's absurd and it's not who I am. So, so after your cry, you were like, I'm, I'm done with this. This is, this is the point that I get things back under control, correct? Yeah, I was, I stood up and I was like, okay, watch me then. And so I signed up for classes for that last semester. And it's, I knew from where I was after all of that, there was not going to be any try harder try differently. And so I talked to people who had recently graduated, you know, other three L's and I found out, you know, like which classes are the easy A's, which classes are going to have fewer people in them so that they won't be on the curve. So you might get an A more likely, you know, so that if you earn an A, you're not going to be bumped down because of the curve, which classes are pass fail and did the math to figure out which ones I needed to do really well and took some adjunct professor classes, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I ended up just nailing it that semester, but strategically. Um, for the first time ever, I was in New Orleans. I never went to Jazz Fest because it was always in the middle of exams. But that year, I read about conflicts of loss sitting there watching fish at yeah. Jazz Fest because I was going to do what brought me joy and work in hard but different. And I did. And after that, I was so nervous to email the firm and say, you know what? You told me no, and it sound or you told me maybe and also no, but it sounded like for sure no. But I wanted them to know I did this. I could have done it. I said I would do it, and I did it. And yep. so I sent an email. I was like, "Hey, just wanted to let you know, my grades have come back up, top twenty percent. Have a lovely day." <laughs> <laughs> and I heard back within you know twelve hours or so. We'd like to offer you a job, and I was like, "Wow!" And since then, I had one other offer from a firm in new orleans but it was um it was a different type of practice so it was such a cool opportunity but it was like a you build your own hey after two weeks you're gonna be a trial by yourself enjoy that it kind of like i wasn't sure i was ready to jump into that situation but it was such a cool stay in new orleans the guy said so when he gave me the offer he said so put that in your gumbo pot for a minute stir it up get back to me like that is the most <laughs> new orleans thing i've ever heard about a job offer put that in your gumbo pot and let it stew and i did and my husband and i ultimately decided higher salary near my nephew and my parents were getting older and back to birmingham we went yeah Mm -hmm. And did you get, when did you guys get married along the way? Were you so in law school or outside? Before I went to law school. So in 2010, um, we got married. I finished grad school, my master's degree, taught school for a year, came back home. And I got married that in the spring of 
2010 and started law school maybe the next year. How did it feel when you finally made that decision that I am not going to be the victim of my grades anymore and I'm going to take control and I'm going to right this ship and move forward? How did it make you feel as a person? It felt like I had set something on fire, but something good with mm-hmm. a good fire. Like it yeah. felt scary. Like I'm saying I can do this. Hope I can, you know, but like, <laughs> but I really can't. I'm about to do this, you know, like it doesn't matter. I don't care. No matter what, I'm going to give it a, I'm going to try and I'm going to try my way. And I'm pretty sure I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> and if I can't, well, then I'll find some other different thing that'll fix it or, or not fix it, but that'll lead me to where I want. Well, that's good that it didn't crush you, you know, and you were able to reach back out to that same firm and say, here I am. And this is what I did. Mm-hmm. And it was good on their part that they were like, they recognized that. Yes. I did not expect that they meant it when they said, well, if you bring your grades back up, I thought it was like a gentle shove off a no thank you cliff, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I wanted them to know anyway. I sent that email with zero expectations. Did you work at that firm until you left there and started your own? Was that okay? I did. Mm -hmm. How long was that, that you worked there? About six years, I guess. Okay. So how did you become a parent? (laughs) We're going to shift gears here because it's kind of a incredible little story. So how did it, because it doesn't happen to everybody. Right. And, you know, not everybody would, would have done what you did. So yeah, you never know what you'll do until until it's right in front of you. Yeah, it is. (laughs) So I started at the firm and I'd been there less than a year. I was just, you know, billing crazy hours, working my tail off and, mm-hmm. and kind of enjoying it, you know, like I was ready to work hard and to bill a million hours. And I earlier in life had found out that I, I have infertility and I was told at the time, you can't have children. Now it turns out eventually I probably could have been one of those people who spends tons of money to eventually maybe have their, like a biological child. But at the time the science said, this isn't happening for you. And it was, that was a struggle. Um, it was maybe the year before I got married and I grieved that for several years. I didn't go to, for, to a baby shower for like five years or something. No. Yeah. <laughs> Hate me if you must. Um, you know, a lady one time right after we got married, when are you guys going to have children? And I'm just like, started crying on the sidewalk outside of a Mexican restaurant. And I, I was like, that's inappropriate to ask somebody. <laughs> and I was like, uh Oh, that was my new mother-in-law's best friend. My bad. Um, so, you know, I had, but I had processed the infertility grief. Um, and my husband and I decided, you know what, we're going to buy excellent Christmas presents for our nieces and nephews, maybe a beach house and a boat. I'm about to bill all these hours. We're about to make a whole bunch of money. And this is our life. Look at our plan. Here it is. Woohoo. You know, we were shopping for historic homes in downtown Southside Birmingham. And at the time, my husband was still looking for a job in Birmingham. And so he was still working back in New Orleans or outside New Orleans. He's a pharmacist. He was at a, host, a hospital, came home every weekend, like the fabulous husband that he is, come and visit me. And we're following the plan. We're buying a boat, right? <laughs> and I'm staying with my mom at the time. And she 
my car broke or what it was in the shop or whatever. So she's driving me to work one day. And on the way there, she said, um, I got the greatest compliment for you the other day. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> Compliments, bring it on. And she said, well, you know, your cousin uh, or uncle, it's actually my cousin, but we call him uncle. Because like I said, big Catholic family. Yeah. There's three, my, it's my mom's first cousin, but there's, there's this huge three branch family tree that's kind of actually much more close knit than a three branch family tree usually is this many <laughs> generations on. And so she said, well, you know, Mike um, called the other day and said, you know, a couple of our little cousins, your family members, they need someone to care for them or they're going to go in foster care and they're going to be separated siblings. Hmm. And I was like, um, huh? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, cool story. Did you just like presented that to me as a compliment? This is an odd way. This is an yeah, odd this way. This is an odd compliment, but <laughs> carry on, mom. You'd be a great parent to them. Um, okay. And so I went up to my desk. I did not bill a billion hours that day. I stared at my computer for a while, <laughs> like as in all day. And I didn't say anything. Husband came to visit that weekend. So we made it to like, Sunday and I finally was like um here's the thing uh if we wanted to do this we could uh yeah I have cousins who need a home and he was like I'm sorry what <laughs> you have cousins who need a home um so yeah it took us a few days and we cried and we like said no uh what what how what how, change our whole lives and do this but yeah I mean ultimately you you do what's, I don't, I don't know. At some point you see your path in front of you and you see it diverge and you're like, well, there's that path. And then, you know, yeah, you go, oh crap. And you hop right on it. <laughs> it it's and, funny how sometimes uh, it does take a second because you, you start running through all those emotions and you're like, absolutely not. We have a plan. And then you start <laughs> thinking about it and then you're like, okay, yeah, I guess so plans I don't change plans <laughs> I don't even like when my dinner plans change what are you talking about um no I'm flexible sure so yeah yeah you know it didn't take it didn't take very long it took some processing but it was going to be it was going to be a, of course yeah. and we didn't know what we were getting into we didn't know if it would be a week or forever and um yeah it turned out to be forever and so here we are and it's been almost seven years how old were they uh, two and three. They were, oh my God. <laughs> you got thrown right in. I did. I potty trained and everything. I, I oh have not my. rocked an infant or stayed up those nights, but yeah. <laughs> how did you, how did you make it through with the law firm and now taking these, the kids on and your husband's <laughs> still traveling back and forth? I mean, how did you, was it family that helped along the way? So my husband had made it back by then and okay yeah uh, yeah the timeline gets a little fuzzy back then but yeah he it was it was he had just gotten a job in Birmingham but we were still living in my mom's house looking for a house in Birmingham okay my mom works out of state she was working out of state for like 30 days at a time come home for a week 30 days at a time come home for a week and so we were just staying in her house and so he started cleaning up all my mom's stuff to get these, <laughs> this little, my mom's house ready for two kids. And we like cleaned out our guest bedroom. We slept in my mom's bedroom and went and bought some 
target betting and got a couple of beds from Overstock and balancing that with trying to be a full-time fill a million hours attorney was, I mean, utter nonsense, but I, somehow I did it for a while. I have no idea how. Yeah, family was supportive, but at some point, like you get two kids who have, you know, a history of trauma, who've been separated from their family, who are going through so much. And, you know, I had a psychiatrist recommend that I read the book, One, Two, Three Magic Parenting, which is basically like you count to three and you put the kid in timeout for like however many minutes they, old they are. Well, guess what? <laughs> you have a kid who has been through care, who has separation from their primary parents, who has been through more than, you know, so many adults can even fathom, you don't, you kind of don't stick them in a spot by themselves to process their own feelings. That doesn't work super well. And so I started learning a whole lot about parenting in the evenings after building the, the trying to build the hours. And eventually that path sort of brought me to where I am now. The, what do I actually do? instead of count to three and trying to send a two-year-old to cry by himself. Yeah, by themselves. Um, yeah, my, my dog, at the t- my dog, my old dog sat down, by my two-year-old who was, now I didn't have the heart to actually send him to time out like far away from me, it was like pretty close. But my dog sat down beside him when he was crying against the wall. She looked up at me with the shame face, like how could you, don't you see what you're doing here? And I was like, oh man, my dog just told me about parenting. And so I sat, I went over and sat down with the dog and this little kid and then his sister came and then Nick came and we all sat in timeout together <laughs> for like a while and he just cried and then, and eventually he felt better and we moved on and we didn't do um, yeah. sit by yourself to feel better anymore. And God. that moment was like, oh yeah, I have some stuff to learn. Uh-huh. And <laughs> From there, I started maybe overdoing it, but like learning as much as I could about trauma, about children, child development, child psychology, and how to best help these kids and be the best parents I could for as long as it was going to, as long as I was going to be around. Yeah. Yeah. Did you end up um, adopting them or have you gone through any that or thought about that or? We have permanent custody permanent it's okay like like guardianship both of their biological parents have have died since then okay. so um i've also read a lot in the adoption community and adult adoptees about about adoption and about how adoption is trauma and so we decided ultimately to let them decide whether they mm-hmm. want to be like fully adopted once they're a little older and we talked about it with them and they're like, okay, I understand the difference, I think, but yeah, we don't know. And so eventually maybe they'll decide they want to be fully adapted, but ultimately the, it's just a legal yeah. terminology at this point. Yeah. That's, um, that there is an amazing little story of what mm-hmm. you guys did and what you went through and what you had to learn and putting yourself in there and, and really understanding, like you said, it wasn't a normal parenting situation where you had, you know, a two-year-old that you raised and you put in timeout or whatever you do. You, you've got these kids that are not with their biological parents anymore. And now they're with you. And mm-hmm. now you're trying to bridge that gap of being 
like, Hey, welcoming, but then still mm -hmm. like, well, now I I've got a parent too mm -hmm. and figuring out how to do that. And yeah. that's pretty incredible. Learning to hold a boundary with a child while welcoming big feelings <laughs> or they feel big to us, you know, learning that that's a thing and that you can let a, let a child have the feelings they have. You don't have to shut that down, but you can still say, well, no, the green cup is dirty <laughs> and we're going to have to have the blue cup so, and be okay with them being upset about it. That was a journey. <laughs> yeah. to so how did that lead to that, that kind of this experience, if I kind of understand your story, kind of led you to where you are now, right? Right. Yeah. And what, what was the, the final thing that said, Hey, I can do this. I'm ready to go. I COVID, I think so mm -hmm. quarantine COVID at being at home with two kids who have you know, their own difficulties. I myself have, <laughs> that was diagnosed as an adult with ADHD. I'm neurodivergent. I got two kids at home and I'm trying to work and have two kids while my husband was trying to be a pharmacist at home, which was, you know, that was interesting. He's like talking to patients on the phone. He's like, yes, ma'am, screaming at like his, his patients at, over the phone. Cause you know, some of them are all, you know, yeah. and just, it was a wild world. I have kids who have um, special education services through IEPs, et cetera. So I had already, I learned that world, gotten to know that world through my role as a parent. And I'm sitting here going, this is not sustainable. I cannot continue to pretend to do both of these a quarter of the way, <laughs> like, because it didn't feel like uh -huh. half, it didn't feel like half and half at all. I didn't feel like I was hitting that mark at all. And so I, I took FMLA, I took a leave, yep. um, great firm, <laughs> paid leave, but you can only take paid leave for so long and COVID was a while, you guys, we're still here. And so after many months, I had actually other parents who were sort of asking me questions like, mm, our children are at home, they're supposed to be receiving services, what do we do? And I'm like, this is not what I do. And I have rules at a firm where I'm, I cannot give you legal advice. But ultimately I realized there was something, I'm on this leave, not doing a whole bunch of real estate related law at that time. Like, this is what I really care about. This is where my passion lies. This is something I can do. I've been there, I understand it. I'm good at it and people need it. And I, this is what I wanna do. All along, I had been aiming at something to help children, you know, since I thought even I was going to do nonprofit work right. and not go to law school. And here it is sitting right in front of me and COVID threw it in my lap. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? I, I've felt this kind of coming for a while, but it's time. It's time to go. It's time. I can do this. I'm ready to take this leap. I'm ready to be vulnerable and scared and believe in myself and try on my own to make a law firm out of nothing mm -hmm. and to build it from scratch and find a way that I can help parents who feel lost and kids who are lost at school get found again. That's a pretty big why. Yeah. Right. That's a pretty big, why do I want to do this? Why am I here? And this is my why. And there's a lot of people that went through COVID that kind of shut them down from what they were doing day in, day out. 
and made them sit back and realize that this is, I don't want to be in this anymore. This is what I really want to do. And off they went into that area or that arena, kind of like yours, like, wow, it gave you guys time to kind of sit and take a breather for a second and then go like, Mm -hmm. you know what, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Scary as it is. Scary can be okay. And it can be necessary and it can be what makes life so much better and so much more fulfilling but mm-hmm. man, is it scary? <laughs> yeah. And you, so you've been at it for a little over a year. Things mm-hmm. going good. Yeah. They're going well. I've, I mean, who knows what going well means, but yeah, I have clients yeah. and I'm helping people and I'm doing something that matters to me and it seems to matter to them too. It's been quite a journey. I've learned to build a website and you know, Hey, guess what? You have to pay quarterly taxes. Who knew as a business, I, you know, I didn't know that. Um, there's a lot to learn as a yeah. business owner and you know, you learn it as you go. I wrote a little line of code once. Aha. Yeah. I built my own oh my website. God. I had no idea what I'm doing. I just copied and pasted it, but it worked. <laughs> I know. I was talking to my wife about that yesterday as being a, a realtor here in North Carolina, you are your you're everything. You're your accountant. You're mm-hmm. the. You're doing your taxes and all your paperwork. You're marketing yourself, and then you got to find time in between to do all the business. And right, it's a lot of stuff, but people do it, and eventually you're going to grow and and grow and and then hire people to do different things. Mm-hmm. But it's a that good little spot step. to be in. Yeah, to learn. Yeah. So I've gotten help with some of the things, but yeah. At first, I mean, I had a few, like I had two, I had two clients, you know, when I started (laughs) one was pro bono. So, you know, (laughs) it is what it is. You build it from there, but you get to learn marketing. And I started an Instagram account and that's where things have, have grown a lot. I started an Instagram account. I did like a a trauma-informed Tuesday and all, all of these posts that focus on helping kids with trauma, helping kids with disabilities and helping them in a different way because don't do hard, you know, don't try harder, try different. And some of that really resonated. And that's where a lot of the growth has come from, which I didn't necessarily anticipate actually working, but so far it's been pretty great. The social media is is a good and a bad all wrapped into one, but it's so far reaching. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, so where do you see yourself in five years, 10 years? Continuing to, to, take it one day at a time, I think, and one month at a time and one offshoot path at a time and do what I can. I don't plan on shutting the firm down or moving anywhere else. I hopefully, I don't know if it's even hopefully I'm, I'm at a point where it's, I take it as it comes and I do what feels right. And right now this is right. And it took a while to get to a, you know, maybe what, what if life is not a life is not a destination. What if it's not a, I'm going to go become a partner and then continue to work really, really hard at a law firm, make way too much money and pay way too much to send my kids to a way too fancy school. Like, what if that's not what I'm aiming for? Um, so what am I aiming for? Well-adjusted, happy children and, and who understand themselves and the world and my husband and I being close and our family being close and that's pretty much what I'm looking for. And so as long good. as this serves me, that's where it will be. Well, good. Hey, I appreciate you sitting down with me today. This was good. 
I applaud you for what you're doing. I think that's fantastic. And um, well, ditto. <laughs> yeah, I wish you all the best. You too. You you're doing best. some awesome stuff. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Beyond Grit with your host, me, Robert Young. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review. Tell somebody about it. You can find this podcast on all major podcast platforms. And be sure to tune in every Wednesday for another exciting success story of somebody going beyond grit. Until then, take care.